Well, good morning. Take your Bible and join me in 1 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> Joe Coe, thank you for that. It was a worship expression. I could do, I could practice all my life and never achieve that. I'm grateful to God for the gifts that he gives, and you certainly have one, and I'm grateful you used it. Sam, thank you. You and your worship team were a blessing to do it today. Thank you for that. Well, listen, we're going to jump right in. I'd like you to stand in reading, in honor of the reading of God's Word. As we uh, launch our new year, it's the first time I have had a chance to speak to you since you've come back. Welcome back to the Master's College, and I hope you had a great time away. I look forward to the semester with you. And as you know, uh, our theme as we journey through chapel, more than not, is life on life. Paul's saying, listen, I was delighted to not only share the gospel with you, but my own life as well. You were very dear to us. And so the heart of what we're doing together, mostly through the semester, is hearing from God's word, the heartbeat of things that he has taught those who share it. And this is a critical message from my heart to yours, and I hope that God will encourage you from it. As we read this text, let me highlight one thing. This is one of the most important paragraphs overlooked in the Bible as it relates to impact you will have for the cause of Christ and glory that you will bring to Christ. You were called to bring God glory. You were also commissioned by God to impact people to the end that they might come to know him so that they might give him glory. And you were called that God might bless you in ways that only he knows. This paragraph is critical to that end. So let's read it together and then I'll seek to unpack it in the time that we have. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. To sum up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For let him who means to love life and see good days refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is God's word. He inspired it for his glory and our benefit. You may be seated. I've entitled this sermon this morning, For His Sake, For Their Sake, and For Our Sake. To sum up, you see those words at the beginning of verse 8? Some of your Bibles say, finally. This is an emphatic statement in the Greek language to sum up, bottom line. It's a way of saying if you don't get anything else, get this about this. This is a summary emphatic statement to say, let me boil it down for you. Something very critical to you, critical to God, critical to those in your life, 
critical to you and the experience of God in your life. Let me sum it up. Sum up what? The behavior. The heart style intentional pursuit of someone who has been chosen by God, saved and rescued sovereignly for his glory. Someone who's been paid for with a matchless, measureless price, the precious blood of Jesus, chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Someone who has had God's supernatural seed sown in you. You that have been blessed by salvation unmerited. You that have been blessed by a price you can't imagine. You've been blessed by the supernatural word of God sown in you like seed to produce the character of God and the transformation of matchless eternal life. You have a mission. You've been set apart by God to be living stones. Stones that make up a tabernacle, a temple, an edifice, a a living reality where God himself is on display. And you've been set apart not only to be the residence of God on earth for his glory, but you've been set apart to be a priest of God, to connect people to God who don't know him. Your greatest honor is to give God glory. And the great mission of God in giving him glory is to connect people to God that they might give him glory. Notice what it says in verse 9 of chapter 2. You're a chosen race. That's that sovereign selection. A royal priesthood. Now, you may not know this, but the, the Latin word for priest is pontifex, which means bridge builder. A priest is a bridge builder, a connector. A connector from those who don't know God to God. From God to those who need God. You're a royal commissioned by God bridge from those who don't have access to the end that they might have access. You're a people, it says, for God's own possession living in you, displaying his glory through you, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're a bridge builder who bears witness to the greatness of the God who rescued, saved you, and changed you. You're the means that God has commissioned. You're the missionary. Every one of us is a missionary. Whether we seek support and we've been sent far afield, the truth is we've all been commissioned by God to be agents of his grace and glory to the end that people that don't know him come to know him. And in my ministry life of 27 years in pastoral ministry, I personally believe that most Christians consider what they say to be the most important aspect of their Christian witness. When in fact, it's not just what you say, it's how you live that validates what you say. The heart of the gospel is made credible because of the way we adorn it with the excellence of the behavior that God wants us to put on display, validating his gospel, making it credible, not just words, but a real witness 
and doing it in such a way that the skeptic, and if it's a hard-hearted friend like Sam's, who I just can't see it, feel it, understand it, as a, fact, as, a fact, as a matter of fact, I may discount it, diminish it, I may even mock it, I may slander you for it, but the antidote for that is not what you say so much as it is what you do. We have a credibility gap in our culture. And I think for many of us, we will forfeit impact for God and the intentional blessing of God that he wishes to dispense to those who pursue a heart style that validates the gospel and puts you in a position for God to pour out on you what a father's heart desires to do for children that he has redeemed and loved at great expense. I want you to look at verse 12. Verse 11 says, hey, jettison the behavior that will kill your soul. The fleshly lusts, the internal corruption, fleshly behavior that wages war against your soul. I want you to notice verse 12. After he says, proclaim the excellencies of verse 9, he says, keep your behavior excellent. Excellent among whom? The Gentiles, that's those who don't know God, the outsiders, the people that aren't enjoying what you enjoy, the lost, the pagan. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers. In other words, they're going to speak lowly of you. They're going to discount you. They're going to ridicule you. You're gonna, they're going to say what you do is hurtful, not helpful. Wrong, not right. To those people, let them be a witness of your behavior that is excellent. Now watch this. That that they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, give glory to God, glorify God in the day of visitation. Let me tell you what verse 12 just said. People that don't know God and don't get it will get it because they see you live it. Visitation is the day when Jesus returns to bring judgment. On judgment day, this verse says, the skeptics who used to slander you, misinterpret you, misunderstand God and the gospel you stand for, the life you live, they will give glory to God. Why? Because they've come to know God. Why? Because they've been a witness of the good deeds they've observed in you. The undeniable validating evidence of a gospel that's real. How it changes people will change them. They don't get it because they don't see it. And if they see it, they'll glorify God because of it. On the day that he returns. If you understand that, would you say amen? amen? For his sake, for his glory, for his heart, for the redeemer and the rescuer, to his honor, to his glory, that they might give him glory, that you might give him glory, that together we might give him glory. For his sake, not only proclaim with words his excellencies, Live excellently. Behave in a way that honors him for their sake. 
so that they can see what they can't understand, so that they can understand what they desperately need, so they get what you have because they see how you live. And for your sake. To sum up, verse 8, chapter 3, takes chapter 2 as it finishes out, and chapter 2 says, hey, you want to know what excellent behavior is? It's honorable, submissive behavior. It's respectful behavior. Chapter 2, verses 13 through 17 talks about honoring behavior, those in government, those in authority, no matter who they are. Show honor to them. Respect them. That's excellent behavior. How about the folks you work for, verses 18 through 20, those that you're under authority by, you study under, you serve, employer, master, someone giving leadership in your life. Do right even if it's hard. Do right even if they don't do you right. It's honorable behavior. It's submissive and respectful behavior. He moves in in chapter 3, the early verses 1 through 6, talking about what happens in my family life. I'm a woman living with a man who's AWOL. He's not doing what he should do. How do you behave excellently in that kind of a family context? Honorable submission, honorable service. Husbands, verse 7, display honorable understanding. Behave right. Let me boil down these verses, and I'm headed somewhere in the time that we have. That's why we're hurrying. If you want to boil it all the, all the way down to say what kind of conduct validates the gospel I proclaim, it's this kind, when you do right even when it's hard. When you do right even if you're done wrong. When you honor when you show respect, when you submit rightful, to rightful authority, when you display the heart style that says, I trust God even if I can't trust them. Excellent behavior is the kind that says, I'm going to do right even if it's hard. I'm going to do right even if I'm done wrong. Verse 8, chapter 3. To sum up, let me bottom line. Let me, let me give you in a short, few short verses the heart style that validates the gospel, the heart style that refutes the slanderer. Let me articulate the intentional attitudes and the action commensurate with them that sets you apart, an impact for God, and therefore the potential recipient of blessing from God. To sum up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, not just for his sake, their sake, but notice what verse 9 says. Look at the conjunction. For, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For your sake. You know what verse 8 just said? This is the way you're supposed to live. Let me sum it up. And if you do live this way, there's a blessing attached to it. There's an inheritance blessing attached to it. 
There's a because you're a son or daughter of God, there's a blessing from God attached to it. And if you don't live this way, if your behavior is not excellent, heart style and intentionality in this way, you forfeit that blessing. You were called by God to inherit a blessing. You have an inheritance. I'm old enough now to have received an inheritance. When my father passed away in 2006, I got a lot of things that used to belong to him. I inherited eight motorcycles. I sold five of those motorcycles to the Barber Motorcycle Museum in Birmingham, Alabama, which is the largest and the best in the world, so that I could go look at the bikes my dad gave me. And then I bought a bike in honor of him so that I could ride the bike he gave me that he never knew he gave me. So if you see a blue Harley Davidson on campus with HFW2 on the back, he's Harry F. Walls II, I'm the third, that's his bike, I get to ride. I've inherited. But let me tell you something about God's blessings. As a child of God, you're an inheritor of everything God has right now. You remember the story of the prodigal? I want everything that is mine. He goes out and he wastes it all. Big brother gets upset when he's restored and brought back and there's a festive feast. Big brother comes, older brother comes to the father and says to the father, I don't get this. I've been faithful the whole time. I didn't waste it all. You're throwing a party for him and I'm getting nothing in essence. And you remember this, listen to this. This is Luke chapter 15, verse 31. Here's a good inheritance thought for you. My child, said the father to the older brother, my child, you have always been with me. And all that is mine is yours. You see, one of the great treasures of Christian reality is that when you become a Christian, you inherit the blessing, privilege, and access to all that the Father has. All that is mine is yours. When I was a junior in high school, I used to leave school at 310. By 4 o'clock, I was airborne. I'm a private pilot. I learned to fly early. I'd be flying over southern New Jersey all by myself in my father's airplane I didn't have to own it he didn't have to die for me to enjoy it he had it I had access to it that's the way it is for a Christian determined by the wisdom of the father and the qualification of the inheritor is your heart style in a position where you qualify for the God who wishes to allow you blessing and benefit out of the great treasury house of his capacity, ability, and resource? Do you qualify? He has a heart to give. His wisdom rules what he shares. And you, in your heart style, either attract that benefit or forfeit it. Notice what Peter says. I'm going to sum this up. These heart style attitudes are necessary and essential because you were called to inherit a blessing. And that blessing is tied to this lifestyle, this heart style. 
These are inheritance blessings. They have no restriction in size or type save the wisdom of the father and the qualification of the family member. And the direct implication of this is that such expected and rightful benefit is forfeited and prevented if we do not pursue what verse 8 describes. I want you to see something else. Look at the next conjunction, verse 10. Four, another ground or reason motivating this heart style. Let him who means to love life and see good days. Refrain his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking guile. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Verse 10 says, if you want to love life, you want to see good days, the heart style of verse 8 gives birth to the practical expression of verses 10 and 11. And the consequence of that is you'll enjoy a life you're going to love and you're going to enjoy good days. Anybody want to sign up to love life and see good days? You know what it's attached to? Excellent behavior of the heart displayed in the tongue and in the life. There's something else, another conjunction. It's a triad of reasons. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears attend to their prayer. In other words, he's an ally, an advocate. Or, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Here's a third reason to pursue the heart style that leads to, leads to the life, lifestyle that is excellent before God. You get blessed by God. You enjoy life and good days. And you see, experience God as your advocate and ally, not your adversary. So, let me give you some highlights of the heart style, the excellent behavior that will impact them, give glory to him, and will give a life of blessing benefit, a life you're going to love, good days to you. Heart style quality number one, verse eight. Oh, by the way, see what it says, let all be, there are no exceptions. Doesn't matter whether you're in the pulpit today or in the bleachers. Doesn't matter whether you are a janitor or the administrator who runs the institution. Everyone, everywhere, let all be Number one, harmonious. Harmonious. Harmonious heart. This is, I want to get along with you, heart. Homo fron, homo same fron mind. It doesn't mean we think the same. It means this is not making a person think the same, but it's cultivating and displaying a spirit that leads to oneness and unity of heart. It is the spirit and attitude which promotes common ground, and it focuses on places of agreement. This harmonious heart is a heart that seeks unity, not disunity, that sows love connection, relational connection, not relational division. It's used once in the New Testament. It is characterized by a lack of complaining, a lack of Grumbling, a lack of murmuring. The antonym for harmony is gunadzo, which means to speak secretly of your displeasure. It's the expression of dissatisfaction. Now, how many of you live in a world where everything works? You don't. First of all, you have roommates, and that doesn't work, right? 
You have teachers sometimes that do it in ways that you wouldn't want them to. You have relationships that don't work the way you want them to. This is the attitude that says, I will seek to get along. I cultivate harmony. I don't murmur and complain and look for reasons to not get along. I pursue harmony. Number two, sympathy. Sympathetic. Sim with, pathos, to feel or to suffer. These words mean to put yourself in their shoes and identify with them. This is the I seek to understand before I seek to be understood heart. The great heart, the good heart, the excellent behavior heart is a heart that is driven by a desire to understand before it seeks to be understood. It says, I can see what you're saying. I can see what you're feeling. Before it ever says a word, it is understanding. It is sensitive. It is other-centered. It cares about what somebody else feels and thinks. Country Magazine had a contest sometime back, picture of the year, the picture of the year in the Country Magazine, which my wife subscribed to at that time, was a very young boy in the corner, obviously being disciplined. He's facing the corner. He's got his head down, and sitting beside him is his big brother with his arm around him. Sympathy. I'm with you. I feel it. I care, and you know it. I want to get a long heart. I seek to understand before I seek to be understood. Thirdly, a friendly heart. A family-friendly heart. To sum up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic. See the words brotherly? That's Philadelphos from Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. This isn't the city of brotherly love. Adelphos, somebody born of the same womb, not physically, spiritually. Philos, to feel, affection, love. Agape is not a, word, a feel word. Agape is what you do word. Philos is what you feel. It's affection. It's warmth. Here's the behavior that's excellent. Here's the kind that calls and makes credible the gospel we proclaim is when you display a family-friendly heart, a heart attitude of personal warmth and affection that people can feel. This is the heart that says, you, value, you are valuable to me, your family to me, you matter to me, not because you play on my team, not because you look like I want you to look, but because you are who you are, a child of God. One of the great characteristics of Christian community is everybody is wanted. Everybody's valued. Everybody has a heart for each other, and you can feel it. Look, some of you don't have the I'm a friendly personality. But as a Christian, you need to display a friendly spirituality. There ought to be nobody on this campus who feels alone, and they do. There ought to be nobody on this campus who feels by themselves. Not because 
they somehow win the right to experience the affirmation that you have the ability to share. But because as a child of God, one born of the same womb, they can feel your affection and warmth for them. You pursue them. You value them. They know it. You show it. This is not a cold, callous, distant, moody, or aloof heart. This is an attitude that shows up in the eyes and the countenance as well as the words and the actions. Number four. I'm going to punctuate this one because I think this is the heart of it all. First Peter chapter 3, brotherly, here it is, kind-hearted. Now you can fly by this one means to be good-hearted, means to be big-hearted, and it means to be great-hearted. It means to have something, that's the word for intestines, like your, your innards, and out of your inward parts, there's this wellspring that drives behavior that has a, here are the two key things, a passion to restore and a passion to remedy injury. A passion to be kind because it races to restore and because it races to remedy injury and loss. Usplognon. Splognon, the stuff inside, ooh, good, great, here translated kind. Because it's kindness that displays this goodness. Let me give you a couple of illustrations where this word is used. We don't have time to turn, but you can note it. Luke chapter 10, you remember the Good Samaritan? The Bible says he felt usplognon. He felt kind-hearted. He felt compassion for someone who was injured and suffering loss. And he said, I don't care who you are. You're culturally different than me. You're actually my cultural enemy. I don't care where you are. This is dangerous. If they robbed you, they can certainly rob and beat me. I don't care what's happened to you, how catastrophic. I don't care what it cost. I don't care how inconvenient. I have a great heart, a good heart which says no matter who you are, where you are, what's happened to you, or even if you're on this road out of foolishness, because the road to Jericho was a road known to be unsafe. I don't care who you are. I am rushing. I have a passion to address that injury, to address that loss, even at cost. The great heart that displays the great gospel is the great heart that says, if you need me, I'm there. I don't care. I'm in. Passionate to address injury and loss. Turn over to Luke chapter 15. The other place it's used that's so vivid. We already talked about the end of this story. I want to highlight something else in it. A tender heart, a kind heart, a good heart is one that races to remedy. It's passionate to restore where injury and loss is, and it's also passionate to reconcile. This word is used of the father in the prodigal son story or the 
love of the father story, however you choose to see it. The son comes home. He's already recognized, hey, this is a bad deal. I've wasted everything. I don't like the pigsty. I'm headed home. Even to be a servant at my father's house is better than this. I'm going home. He has dishonored the father. He has shamed his father. He's behaved unwisely. He wasted everything. He's been a bonehead. And he's coming home. And I want you to notice verse 20 because here's our word, usplagnon. And he got up referring to the prodigal, verse 20, and he came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, which means he was looking for him. He felt usplagnon, he felt compassion. He's big-hearted for him. And he ran, he embraced him, and he kissed him. Here are the characteristics of the tender heart that validates the gospel we proclaim, the great gospel revealed in the great heart. Five characteristics. First of all, eyes for seeing. He saw him, which meant he was not avoiding him. He was searching for him. He was longing for him. He felt that's a heart for healing. Instead of a hard heart, you, you violated me, you shamed me, I have no feelings for you. No, he had feelings for him. Instead of hardening, he was feeling. He had a heart for healing, he had eyes for seeing, he ran to him, he had feet for going. Instead of waiting, the father was running. He embraced him, that's arms for receiving, that's not withdrawing, that's not withholding, that's reaching out. He had lips for sealing. He kissed him, which is a way of sealing the pardon that he was expressing with his open arms and with the ring and the robe and the party to follow. Listen, the great heart is a person who races to reconcile even if they don't deserve it, even if they've injured me, even if they've violated me, even if they're not saying, I'm sorry, I'm repentant. The great heart says, the good heart says, I'm looking for reconciliation. I'm racing to reconciliation. My arms are open to receive you. I'm not avoiding you. And I'm displaying pardon to you. I want this relationship restored. Listen, we live in a fallen world and humanity in close proximity with the activity of the enemy results in injury. People hurt people. Christian people hurt Christian people. Families hurt one another. Churches hurt congregants. Congregants hurt pastors. People hurt people. Great-hearted. They can't deny this. To sum up behavior is the behavior that says, I don't care who you are, where you are, what's happened to you. I'm coming to the rescue. And when you're coming home, I'm racing to reconcile because my heart is a model of his heart. And the heart of it all is the word forgiveness. We don't have time to look today, but you should write down Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, where it says, be kind, tenderhearted. Instrumental participle of means, by forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. The secret to that kind of heart is releasing debt. You hurt me. You can't pay me. 
You don't have to pay me. You don't have to own it. You don't have to admit it. I'm releasing it. Why? Because I've received grace. I'm giving grace. I'm the 10,000 talent debtor. I owed a million four. You owed me peanuts. I'm releasing that debt, not because you get it, but because I got it. I've got a wealth of grace. So much grace that if you injure me, I can release you. And I don't know if you remember what Jesus says, but if you do not forgive one another from the heart, that parable says, God will hand you over to the tormentors until all is repaid. I don't know who those guys are, the tormentors. I just don't want to meet them. Some of you live where you live because you're unwilling to release debt that someone owes. Look, it doesn't mean you're entrusting yourself to them. They may not fully be trustworthy, but you can release the debt that creates kind-heartedness and tender-heartedness that enables you to live and love this way even though they've injured you. This is the distinguishing mark of a Christian. Let me say one more thing, and then we need to wrap this up. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'll give you the last thought, and then we'll be done. Humble heart is noted. This is lowliness of mind. This says, I'm willing, even though you've injured me, this is... I'm thankful for everything. I'm considering you as more important than myself. But I, I did want to highlight a significant thought in this passage, which we need to notice. Verse 9. Here's the final kind of heart style that promotes the glory of God, impact for people, and blessing for you. It's a respond in reverse heart. It's a Christ-like heart. I want you to notice what verse 9 says. You don't return evil for evil. That's bad for bad. Or abuse for abuse, insult for insult. You do the opposite. You give a blessing. You pray a blessing for them. You affirm what's good in them. You highlight the best in them. You do good to them because they deserve it. No. They deserve a curse. You're giving a blessing. The reason you're giving a blessing instead of a curse is because you deserved a curse and he gave a blessing. When the priest would sacrifice those animals in the Old Testament, Leviticus 9, slaughter an ox, slaughter a lamb, blood was shed, the fire would consume the fat, all displaying this animal got what the worshiper deserved. And the priest, having offered that sacrifice, the judgment would come out of the worship place or the sacrifice place and Aaron would hold up his hands and to a group of people that deserved cursing from God, consequences from God, judgment from God, he would lift his hands and the Bible says in Leviticus 9, 22 and 23, when the offering was made, he blessed the people. They didn't deserve blessing. They deserved cursing. They got blessing because someone else was cursed. Something else was cursed. 
The reason you respond in reverse, the reason you validate the gospel when you show the opposite of what is deserved is you're putting on display that you got the opposite of what you deserve. You got blessing instead of cursing, and you're blessing instead of cursing. If you understand that, would you say amen? The big heart, the great heart, the validating heart. You want to love life, see good days, talk out of that reservoir, pursue peace out of that reservoir, and let God bless you, honor himself, and impact them for their sake, for his sake, and for your sake. Pursue that kind of a heart. Let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning for the great treasure of this truth. Thank you that you have not only saved us, but you have committed your spirit to us whereby we might put on display the reality of the hope we enjoy, that we can show the gospel, not just say it. We can proclaim it and live it. We can be blessed, they can be impacted, and you can be honored. That's our prayer today. And Lord, without you, we can do nothing. So help us to that end. So that a hostile world, a confused world, a crazy world can see what they can't see and know what they can't know unless they see it because we show it. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.